0: Stories from California Cattle Country is produced by the California Cattlemen's Foundation and receives support from the California Cattle Council. We've created this podcast for those wanting to connect with the people and practices of far-flung ranches and dairies in California through hearing stories from and learning more about families in cattle country. This is the first installment of our second season. We hear at Stories are big fans of continual improvement. Moving forward, we're emphasizing the importance of rural communities, as well as providing more detailed portraits of people from cattle country. We've devised somewhat of a formula to meet these ends. We hope you're a fan of the changes. If so, or if not, you can contact me at at ryanatcowcattle.org. We love the feedback. We headed south on Highway 99 from Sacramento and traced the Central Valley through primarily agricultural towns, with row crops, orchards, dairies, and large machines purposed to move dirt one way or another lining the shoulders of the highway. It's the peak of summer, and most of the unirrigated plants are golden and bone dry. It appears to be a drier year than most which is further evidenced by the tenor of the slogans on political signs dotting the side of the highway, like nuisance-stop dumping our water into the ocean. Water is always an issue in the value, but this year seems different. We chose the most convenient hotel in Bakersfield, a Marriott Inn Express on Buck Owens Boulevard, as there is nowhere to board in Glenville, which was our eventual destination, though conveniently located close to freeway entrances. It wasn't near much in the way of amenities, that is, except Buck Owens' Crystal Palace. I knew nothing of the place but settled on it for dinner anyway. We walked in just after 5 p.m., which is their opening time. We were asked if we had a reservation. We asked if we could sit at the bar. The host sent an employee to survey the situation. I was surprised that a restaurant of this large size could not have seats available just after opening. We were fortunate and we were seated at the bar. Crystal Palace is an impressive mix of a restaurant a concert venue and museum. Buck Owen spent millions of dollars to create the palace in the late 90s. We had dinner and planned to leave. And then the opening act came on the stage, and he was great. Three hours in, we decided to stay to see with the main act, a band called Stampede with an original member of the Buck Owens Buckaroos, Terry Christofferson. They were fantastic. I sent a text to Jack Lavers, the rancher I was to interview the next morning about a time and place to meet. He responded with a photo from the interior of the Saddlesore Saloon in Glenville and said, I'm just warming up for tomorrow. I responded with a photo from the Crystal Palace and he replied, Crystal Palace. He, meaning Buck Owens, was a friend. More on that later. This is Stories from California Cattle Country. We left Bakersfield before 8, took Granite Road towards Glenville. Bakersfield is sunk in the valley just a mile west of where the foothills begin to appear. With the lack of water and shade, historically these lower foothills weren't valued. That is until they found oil. And it seems like they found a lot of it. Driving up the road, pumpjacks are stacked in large groups just 10 feet apart. Ironically looking like thirsty dinosaurs bobbing for a drink. The road eventually gives way to the rocky terrain, after a bunch of twists and turns, where granite outcroppings and oak trees start to dot the landscape. We arrived at the Greenhorn Mountains Veterans Association before 9 for the Glenville Junior Rodeo. I was able to spy Jack immediately, who was judging the rodeo, as he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt amongst a sea of denim and plaid. We watched his kids attempted to ride animals of increasing size and athleticism, from sheep or mutton busting, to steers, and then eventually bulls.
1: Go. Brandon Barhand, come on, buddy! <laughs> <laughs> Just shy of that eight seconds. Let them know you appreciate
0: the effort. After the rush stock, we stayed to watch pole bending, which is sort of a slalom on horseback, in which Jack's daughter, Reagan, competed, followed by watching Jack's three-old son, John, compete in goat tail tying, which is a bit of a misnomer, as there's no tying involved. The participant simply approaches a goat, which is tied to a stake, grabs the rope, and then removes a ribbon loosely tied to the tail. John likes to sneak up on the goat, which seems to be a novel tactic in the sport. It's adorable. After the rodeo, we headed back to Bakersfield after a stop at Glenville Saddlesore Saloon for a cold beer and a BLT. The following morning, we returned to Glenville and were greeted by Jack, his 10-year-old daughter Reagan, and four dogs on a side-by-side waiting just outside of their front gate. Oh, is that? I'm gonna take a picture. It was today. at this point that I got a preview uh, of the tone uh, of the interview. Um, Before we even got out of the car, Jack was already pointing out the historical significance crossing. of the property.
1: So this, the house here, was actually kind of right in between these two big seaters. It Was actually a three-story hotel, and then this was a stage bar. and This was the stage stop up here. So you either went down that way. You went down to the mine.
0: The entry of his driveway is Labor's Crossing, of which is a California historical landmark. And to be clear. Jack isn't only interested in Kern County history involving his family. He's interested in all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We followed them up to their house, crossing over the sketchiest bridge I've ever traversed. Jack is one of the few millennial ranchers I've had the opportunity to interview. He exhibits the traits of a typical cowboy while also being really curious about a myriad of subjects, an appetite only a life with the internet could fulfill. He's a big guy with a beard and a boyish smile that's activated whenever he's discussing subjects of interest, which are many. Jack's wife, Jenny, won't be heard from on this episode, because on the day of the interview she was working in town as the administrative director for clinical operations and ancillary services for Aventus Health's Kern County region. Jack was quick to use a regular slogan of his that was for every successful rancher, there's a wife that works in town. It seems like there's advantages to operating in this, in this kind of country. Like, you know, there's a lot of people just, what, 30 miles away that have no shade, like, oh, yeah. it seems like. So um, are there disadvantages to operating up here? I mean, for me personally, on my ranch, uh, I mean,
1: everywhere's going to have their benefits. everywhere's going to have their disadvantages. Um, you know, we've talked about leaving California. Like when I was a kid, we almost bought a ranch in Oklahoma. Uh, and ultimately, my dad said he was too old. But now that I'm kind of at that age and upset with California all the time, you know, where do you go? And, you know, I'm two and a half hours from L.A. I'm two hours from the beach. I'm... 30 minutes from some of the best Jeep trails or packing country if you want to go horseback and pack in the backcountry, I mean, we're right here, the desert, Vegas, it's all right here. Where else in the world do you have that? And we have the greatest climate and you don't have that anywhere else outside of these borders of California and even parts of California aren't even this nice. And so we're really fortunate. Um, when my great grandfather came here and our great, great, great grandfather in 1854, uh, to California he came up through here through this country and said we has wrote a letter back to his family in Canada and said I found where I'm going to build a ranch this is what I love I've found God's country you know and that's how we kind of feel about it I just you look at this it's just perfect People back then were just adventurers. I mean, they lived somewhere for a couple of years and then they just packed up their family and sold it and left and went somewhere else, tried something new. And, you know, our family came out of—they there from Canada and gone down to Boston looking for work and then sailed out of Boston around the Horn and ended up in San Francisco. And then they're kind of near, we think, where San Francisco's new football stadium is, is where we had a farm at one point. Uh, we're not exactly sure, but our other family, the Stockton family that we're all related to from that area, Stockton and everything like that. But they really started chasing the gold. You know, they they, they did uh, their farming and then they went to go gold mine and see what they could do and strike it rich. And and uh, they ended up working through here. He managed some mines just down here in White River. Um, and, you know, they just kind of rode around looking for stuff, to, places to mine and do things like that and opportunity. And uh, he made friends with the guy that originally owned where or my mom's house is, John C. Reed and uh, said this would be a great place for a stage stop. And that's kind of how the wheels got to turning. And he worked for some guys up here. The valley is called Lynn's Valley. He worked for Lynn um, and saved up enough money. And then we have a letter in 1858 where he went back to Sanford Bay area, said I'm building a wagon, I'm selling my farm and I'll be back here in the fall to purchase the ranch. And that's what he did. And that's how we got started.
0: All right, can we walk down to the uh, to the horse area or the barn? Yeah, uh stop of my truck will drive Oh, cool.
1: Let's go pick up the cake, grab the toothbrush, grab the gloves, grab
0: the way, Racing horses, is it, is it a necessity for, um, for operations or was it more of a, a passion project or both? I mean, the ranch historically had
1: horses as a stage stop uh, When my dad was a kid, he still remembered the, having a lot of horses with Percheron in them Uh, I think they still had an old stud that was a Pertron stud that they crossed on everything for the wagons. Um, And uh, so we always had horses. They always raised a few. Um, There was a guy, and I can't remember his name, but it was a trainer that worked for the Carver Bowen Ranch. And uh, he really took a liking to my dad's sister, Jody. And uh, so they ended up going. He picked a horse for her to get into showing. And so they actually went. Her name, I think his name was Miss Dina. And they went back to Oklahoma to get this yearling. And back then, it was just an ungodly amount. And my, my grandparents didn't have a lot of money, you know. And uh, so it was kind of this huge deal. And she won everything. All the halter classes, I, people were upset that she was winning so much kind of thing. And he really showed her a lot. My aunt did great. Um, and so from that line, when I was a kid, we had Applejack still around when I was a kid. And uh, they had a lot of nice Appaloosa horses, the good quarter horse-looking Appies, you know, with the nice blanket on them. Um, They actually had uh, one go, went to uh, Hollywood, ended up in some old westerns. And then another one, they shipped one for breeding down to uh, Australia. Back then, this was kind of a neat deal. I remember as a kid, uh, my dad decided one year, he said, uh, I've watched all these ranches that owe all this money to the bank, and they're having to sell the ranch to get the bank even. And he said, I don't want to be under the bank's foot anymore. He paid off our bank, and uh, Rob Wanderleith was our our, uh, banker then. And so we lived pretty... Pretty hand to mouth for about two years, and I and I say that I say it lightly. We really weren't the ranch was. My mom worked in town. We she had a great job. She's a BSN uh, administrative nurse. So by no means poor, poor or anything like that. I want to you know take people that really went through a struggle, but you know the ranch was broke. We didn't have much money, and we were out of debt though. And that was the big thing for my dad. But I remember at that point, all of our horses were kind of getting old, and we didn't have the money to get those other horses. You know, and the market at that time had kind of taken a jump. And so i remember just being a kid saying we're going to start raising horses i want to ride and my dad said okay we'll do that and so when we got finally some money together we bought a couple nice mares and that's kind of how we got going and then a little later long a little while later i had saved up some money and he gave me some more money and i went to a couple sales and bought a couple more brood mares and kind of started piecing together what i wanted and now we're kind of there
0: is is there work that can't be done with atvs that needs to be done on horseback I
1: think it's, I mean, people can get done depending on where they're at pretty easily with a quad and a good set of working pins, but you're not going to gather my forest allotment and you're not going to gather a lot of this ranch with just a quad. Um, You know, I, I have a pack of dogs, as you've seen. I use them and I can do most of it on my own and I'm pretty fortunate like that but there are big days where you're going to need a bigger crew and you're going to need people riding horseback they're going to have to be breaking through the brush and riding something really steep you know that you can't get a quad on or side by side or something like that so it's it's dependent on your operation where you're at and how you handle things for us we have to have horses and the cattle move and act better when you're working cattle I think and if you're good at it and, and you you take your time with your horse and train them properly and and they're good and the chance of somebody getting hurt or your animals getting hurt and getting stressed out is, I think, just, you know, plummets. That's the biggest thing is, is I try to tell people when I talking to people that aren't in the industry is, you know, every time I do something with my cattle, it, some way or another, I am stressing them out. And every time an animal gets stressed, they typically lose weight or their immune system tanks. And so they have the potential to get sick or that weight loss costs me money. And I make my money off that weight. So I need to be as good of a, as a steward for these animals as I can be. And so horses, I think, are probably
0: the best option you can have at that. If you're breeding a horse, to say, for sale, do all the qualities that would make it catch a higher price also make it better working cattle?
1: Well, I, you're going to catch 22. You, you watch the cutting horse industry right now, and they've bred some of these horses just so dang small. And they're the most athletic freak of natures you've ever seen. But I, I'm too big anyways, I wouldn't be able to ride them. But They're really almost too small for my daughter to ride out here. And in the arena, they're great, that's fine. But once you get on something like this and you're coming through, going down that's gonna be hard on them, it's gonna be hard on their, their shoulders, it's gonna be hard on their knees, their feet. They're not built for this type of country. You talk about, guys get to talking about all oh, those rock crushers, you know, they're talking about the old you know, draft crosses and big old Hancock bread. And, you know, really pounding the ground on them and, and going to work in these tough areas, th- those little horses can't hold up to it. So everything is kind of a, you want to find that happy medium. If you're, you're strictly looking to raise barrel horses, you're going to look for something different than I am. But I might want some of that in my horses. Uh, if you're just looking for a healing horse, you're going to want a smaller, more athletic horse. Probably a cut and reject works fantastic, and, you know, for you. Carl, Carl's Colonel Yo-Yo bread from John Lacey, and that's his sire and look how big he is. You know, he's a phenomenal horse. Uh, but he wants to work a cow, and he'll work a cow better than a lot of lot of horses. All right. That gray mare in the back, her name's Hellbitch. <laughs> if you're familiar with the, yeah, the series of Dove, Dove that's here? where I got it. I from.
0: know, Hellbitch, yeah.
1: And uh, she's never bit me, but uh, she has put me in quite a few wrecks, but she's still the, probably one of the better horses that I've ever ridden. She's fantastic. So is there some wildlife you see up here that's pretty unique? Oh, yeah. Well, so we have California condor, a lot more in my lower countries, condors hang lot. down down there. Uh, when they first started releasing them, they, that was a hot spot for them. But we do get them up here. I think one of the last condors was caught just right down the road when they first started capturing them. But we have coyote, we have fox, we have everything, lion, bear, pigs, lots of pigs, unfortunately. Wintertime, we get a lot of bald eagles come down. And I can take out the back road later, but we get a lot of the bald eagles come down to the water. Bowens have their meadows up there, mm-hmm. and they hit those water spots a lot. And then. Uh, we got a couple golden eagles, uh, a lot of red-tailed hawk, tons of turkey, a lot of good cu- turkey country. Deer aren't as much as they used to be, but we have one of the bigger zones. And there's more coyotes, more lion than there's ever been. And there's more hunters in our area. So, it is what it is. So the oldest building in Kern County is right up here in Glenville by the fire station. And it's, the, uh, it's an old adobe. And it was kind of one of the first guys in the area. But the second old, listening, it fell down about five years ago. was in between those two big water oaks, and it was our smokehouse. And so it was built the same year, the hotel, whatever, they started building anything here, 1858. So the barn, so my family, we were shipbuilders and sailors. In fact, we had land and title still, I think, in Scotland and northern England, from helping William the Orange. Two brothers came over, wrecked in Canada, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, and then started working, moving around. There's still a ton of laborers up there, but They originally built this barn and it was actually faced the other way, east and west, uh, was the stage barn. And then same thing, tore it down redid it and built it this way. So I don't know when they rebuilt it, what year they rebuilt it and moved it this way. But before that, uh, it had been like 1861. And see, when David came out, he brought his brother John and a cousin Tom. And Tom had the Woody Ranch, which is on Blue Mountain. Woody brothers own that now, or owned it and that was his ranch. John was a bachelor and he was the blacksmith and the undertaker, it was right here, We're kind of where my shop is, right across the road. But he was the main carpenter too. He's the one that built the hotel, he's the one that built the house later on, built the barn, everything like that. I Uncle Dave working on the ranch one time. Buck Owens comes out with his girlfriends. Got a horse straight on hand. just would you mind if we go riding? I knew who he was, okay, go ahead. So then he, he started coming up, he would come up, you know, quite a bit. And uh, I'll go riding. Years later I get to meet you know, a girl that I was riding cutting horses for him, so I was hanging out with him and he's Where are you from? Oh, Glenville. oh yeah, you went to cut up there? Oh, I used to go to this ranch all the time. He's telling me all about it, explaining it, and I'm like, Well that's that's my family's ranch, I'm Jack Labor's i mean, a hill that was so steep. You have to hang on it. Here's the hill. It's steep, but it's, (laughs) we ride it all the time. I have to hang on to the tail to get up there. Uh, uh, That was funny. He was an interesting guy, but I I didn't know him until later. Uh, But was always, always super nice to me. And I know a lot of people had a lot of bad things to say, but to me, it was always a really great guy. to me, um, and it didn't have to be, I was just a nobody to him, you know. But he was like that with our whole community, really. When you get to looking at it, everything he did for us and, and his lasting legacy was all about Bakersfield. And uh, I think a pretty good lesson for a lot of people just because you make it big doesn't mean you have to go somewhere else, leave it home. Man, this is where he used to ride his girlfriends all the time.
0: Plural. Yeah. After the tour, Jack asked if we wanted to see the cemetery. I wasn't aware of the cemetery's existence until that day, and was unprepared for how fascinating it would be, mostly because we had Jack as a docent. There are three or four dozen graves that dot a five-acre parcel that has a short rocky hill in the center. Different current county families are grouped together as if they were setting up their own campsites. Some are underneath a big oak tree, where others line the hills at the sunny peak. The grave markers vary greatly in condition and design, some of which are small cement rectangles where the inscriptions have been whittled away by weather and time. Others are larger and easier to read, like William H. Lavers died November 13, 1884, 90 years, 10 months, and seven days. Just to the right of his marker is that of his wife, Susan Lavers, who died three years prior at the age of 85. Small towns like Glenville offer resolution in California history, and curious people like Jack are piecing together the timelines and narratives for preservation. Ranches and dairies often offer the most complete records of small towns and out-of-way places throughout the state. Curious Californians would be doing themselves a disservice by not stopping in these towns. These are places of newfound friends, strokes of luck, and easy hospitality. If you'd like to see photographs of our visit, including videos of John and Reagan competing in the Junior Rodeo, visit www.calcattlecouncil.org. We shoot a gallery of photos for every visit. If you're interested in visuals from our travels, visit our Instagram account, at CalCattleCountry. If there's something you'd like to hear from stories from California Cattle Country, you can contact me directly at, Ryan at CalCattle.org or leave comments on our various social media posts. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.